God is not a God of disorder or confusion, but is the God of peace. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning stars rise in your hearts. You are tuning into the Tribe of Christians podcast with host Brandon Dawson, the chief sinner, bringing you a peace of mind, clarity, insight, and perspective to the world you live in by the word of God, featuring the latest updates on end time prophecy news. Don't, Don't forget, forget to subscribe to the, to the Tribe of, of Christians, Christians broadcast, broadcast either on Stitcher, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Podbean, SoundCloud, Facebook, or YouTube at tribeofchristians.com. Without further ado, here is your host and teacher, The Chief Sinner. Welcome, and thank you for tuning in to the Tribe of Christians podcast. I'm your host, the Chief Sinner. One of the greatest attributes concerning the Apostle Paul is Paul's faithfulness to the truth of Christ, even when it meant standing up to his fellow peers. I'm going to show you through Paul's example what it truly means to be a follower of Christ, even if it makes you an outcast to everybody else. When we think about the Apostle Paul, we think of a true champion for Christ. We think of one of the greatest evangelists and missionaries to ever exist. We think of a righteous and holy man who wrote nearly two-thirds of the entire New Testament. And I love Paul. I absolutely love him. He never sways to the left or to the right, and he never sells out. He remains a true outcast to the very end, even unto his very death. He was a true denier of himself, and he followed in Christ's very own footsteps. The Apostle Paul was 100% dedicated to the truthfulness of Christ and the gospel message. And sometimes that's not easy to do. Sometimes it's not that clear or that simple. But both the love of Jesus and the truthfulness of the gospel message of Christ motivated and inspired Paul. So the title of my message is called... The outcast. Now, if you would, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. That's Galatians chapter 2, and your Bibles are on your computer. Now, Paul was formerly known as Saul before Jesus changed his name to Paul. He was a loyal and dedicated man of faith. He was a Sadducee, a member of the Sanhedrin, which is like being a judge in the Jewish high court. That meant that he had to thoroughly know the law of Moses well. Now the Sanhedrin was based on the 70 elders who aided Moses, but where these men individually served as judges to relieve Moses of the burden, the Sanhedrin formed a single court. And it's believed that the Sanhedrin most likely evolved from the elders after the return of the Babylonian captivity. The high priest was the proceeding officer, And the men were appointed to these positions through the elders and the priests. And at the time of Jesus, the court was composed of the high priests, members of the families from whom the high priest was selected, and elders of the tribes and notable families and notable legal 
experts. Supposedly, when a vacancy appeared on the court, three people could propose a replacement so long as one of the three was a current member of the court. And the qualifications were based on Exodus chapter 18, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Now, according to the qualifications, he had to be held in a very high reputation and high esteem. You had to have had a proven track record. You had to be known as God-fearing. You had to be known as a man of truth. You had to hate covetousness, had to be wise with understanding and knowledgeable. So Paul was considered to meet all these qualifications in order to be selected to be on the Sanhedrin. He had to spend years dedicating his life to the law of Moses. And he must have had a high reputation amongst the priests and Pharisees. He must have been well favored and very well held in high esteem. Now think about everything that you had to go through in modern present time to become a judge or even a lawyer. Most people start off first as a lawyer. Now that's first to 12 years of regular grade school, four years of undergraduate work, and then another two years in postgraduate law school, graduation from a reputable accredited law school. Then you have to pass the bar exam for certification. And then after that, you have to maintain a solid reputation in court where everything is tracked and documented. That was Paul's life. Now, except Paul's work wasn't in regards to national or state law as we have it here in the United States. But this was a law according to the law of Moses, a religious law. Paul was indeed a dedicated and a loyal Jewish man of faith. But even after his conversion, after Paul received the revelation of Jesus and his calling, Paul even took it upon himself to dedicate at least a bare minimum of three years of discipleship training according to the gospel message. Just as the other disciples spent three years with Jesus, Paul dedicated three years to Christ before going into ministry. That's pure dedication. That's the type of man that Paul was. And unlike many others, Paul wasn't motivated by power. He wasn't motivated by authority or influence or money. But Paul's motivation was purely by his love for God and for the truth. Even when he was a Sadducee, even when he was persecuting the Christians, Paul was truthfully just misguided. So now in Galatians chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2 takes place 14 years after Paul's great conversion. So here we are 14 years later after Paul's great revelation of Jesus on his road to Damascus and the grace of Jesus. And then there's this scene with the disciples here in Galatians chapter 2, which takes place at a dinner table. The dinner table in biblical scripture, rather in the Old or New Testament, was a very iconic and symbolic place where some of the most famous moments in Scripture and most significant moments in Scripture happened, which was right at the dinner table. Now think about some of the things that might actually occur at your family's dinner table. For some, it's a very formal and respectful time to eat, and for others, it's probably less formal and less significant. Now I remember in high school, I took a home economics class for extra credit, and we were taught table manners at where the silverware is placed, where, which silverware to start with. You had a salad fork, you had an entree fork, you had a dessert fork. 
And you also had spoons and knives and butter knives, and they were all prestigiously placed in a very specific place and location. There is an entire almost ceremonial thing that happens at a dinner table, especially in a very high-end restaurant. And at some dinner tables, you may have to you may have two seats at the ends of the table that designated high position or honor. In some cultures or traditions, it's customary for the wife to serve the husband, the guest first before being served themselves. It was a sign of fellowship and respect. Now, there is a particular order and flow of things at the dinner table. There were particular customs and traditions that took place in the Old Testament. And at Jesus' Last Supper, at his dinner table, formerly known as the Lord's Supper, which took place during Passover, the disciples broke out in this argument amongst themselves as who the greatest is and who the greatest of them will be and which one of them would be the least. And they're fighting over position, they're fighting over the title and influence, and while they're doing that, Jesus does something extraordinarily different than no one ever expected. He takes the position of the most lowest person at the table of a servant. And he begins washing the feet of his own disciples. And here in Luke 22, verses 25 through 27, Jesus says to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table, or he who serves? And is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as the one who serves. So iconic and very symbolic things occur at the dinner table, then oftentimes associated with reputation and with status. So about 30 years or so after that very conversation with Jesus took place, which we still remember to this day, we call it taking communion. We're here yet at another dinner table scene. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took Titus along also. I went in a response to a revelation in a meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that in the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were, makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. 
They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Paul was commissioned to preach the gospel message to the Gentiles, and Peter was commissioned to the Jews. Two great leaders with two different mission fields. And Paul says here that when the other apostles who were held in high esteem as pillars, okay, the original 12 disciples, when they recognized the grace of Christ that was given to Paul, they immediately gave Paul the right hand of fellowship, the same right hand of fellowship that Jesus had given to them. And you'll notice this dinner table theme, which is the same thing that flows throughout all of Scripture. When the Bible references the right hand, that position or seat is considered to be an honor. We get that tradition right here from the dinner table. And Paul is acknowledging those customs of honor and respect. And essentially, Paul is also stating that he has the very same authority that was given to him, which was given to them. And they all witnessed it and the oaths that they all took before each other. They all took the same oaths. So now, so now here is Paul. He gets word about something going on with Peter and these other apostles about an enemy infiltration that is manipulating them back to their forsaken and dead traditions into a law which eternally condemned them through the law of Moses. So Paul says that he went into response to a revelation and he met with these leaders and then he presented to himself the same gospel message that he preaches to the Gentiles because he wanted to make sure that he wasn't running his race in vain. He wanted to preserve the truthfulness of the gospel message. And he says, as for those who held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. So one day the disciples are living in absolutely complete fear of persecution and death. And they're on the run for their lives and in hiding. And then the very next day, about 30 years or so down the road, after getting a taste of success and revelations of the Holy Spirit and working all kinds of miracles and, and such, here they are, years later, separating themselves again from sinners, going back to their Jewish righteous ways of eating with only Jews, unassociating with unclean people in their own eyes what they saw fit. It was forbidden in the law of Moses for Jews to be associated with Gentiles. The Gentiles were considered unclean and sinful people in the Old Testament. It was considered a sinful and impure thing for a Jewish person to eat with a non-Jewish person. So that law over time formed into some kind of a status justification, a way of exalting themselves over one another. And it was oftentimes used against Jesus and they said that Jesus ate with sinners and with tax collectors. But Jesus said that it isn't what goes into the mouth that defiles the mouth, but rather what comes out of it. In the eyes of God, all of us are sinners, and not one single person is better than the other. Rather rich or poor, rather healthy or unhealthy, rather sinner or righteous, every single person is viewed exactly the same by God. God has no favoritism. So the law of Moses wasn't about favoritism. It was about worship. 
Back then, God had to create a law to guide the Israelites so that they wouldn't fall into idolatry and eat food that was sacrificed up to idols. But they took it further than that into something that was never meant to be. Jesus set the ultimate example, and he showed us that not only we should never exalt ourselves over one another, that we should instead be servants like him. We should be willing to serve anybody according to the gospel message, not just those that we personally know. Love knows no boundaries. It knows no limits. Love does not create a hierarchy, and it doesn't exalt itself. So they're here. They're just reclining back at the dinner table, eating all their righteous food amongst themselves, and they're picking up every single kind of title and name for themselves that they can conjure up. And it's almost as if they completely forgot about the very words that Jesus spoke to them and the very acts of Jesus washing their feet. It's almost as if it never happened. And they've gone back to their traditions, the older way of doing things. But notice that Paul says that whatever they were, it meant nothing and it added nothing more to his message. And how relevant is that still to this day? We've got all these different folks calling themselves pastor so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, apostle so-and-so. And we've got all these long elaborated titles for ourselves in the church. And for the last 1,000 years or so, we've really built a hierarchy system out of Jesus' church. Now, the other day I saw on Facebook, a pastor made a post and was bragging about his accomplishments with this church that he had planted and that he wanted to hire somebody and he wanted to give them the official title of chief executive pastor. Now, honestly, I don't, I don't know what that is. I've never heard of anything like that. So I actually asked the pastor about that position and I referenced Jesus in Luke 22. And then this pastor quickly unfriended me and blocked me. Absolutely true story. Jesus strictly told us not to be like the Gentiles who exercise lordship over themselves. We're not supposed to, we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be separate from how the world operates, not by a hierarchy system or lordship. And look what else Jesus says in Matthew 23, verses 8 through 12. For you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Just simply picking titles or names for ourselves, we're exalting ourselves over others. So to this very day, this very reason, I will never call anybody anything other than by their name. And if they have achieved a doctorate or something, I will call them doctor. But I will not exalt anybody above Christ. And that includes myself. So Paul is there in Antioch and he confronts Peter to his face in front of everybody. He says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. And Paul calls them hypocrites to their faces. He says it in verse 13 right there. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, 
Even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, You're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it that then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Those are some fighting words. Those are some mighty and bold words. Remember, Peter was the man filled with the Holy Spirit on Pentecost, and liars were struck dead in their feet right in front of Peter. Peter was there from the very beginning. Peter walked with Jesus for three years. Peter was the very first disciple that Jesus actually called. He was there at the day of Pentecost and at the beginning of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So that's like walking up to somebody who's built up a high reputation and ministry and society and then calling out their hypocrisy in front of everybody. And Paul, being the underdog and the outcast, now has to face his very own brother, Peter, and Christ, who had become a stumbling block to those around him, and tell him the truth to his face in front of everybody. For most people have been put to death for taking a stance like that. But Paul is here loving Christ, and he's loving his brother Peter. Now, Peter's fear was the fear of rejection, the fear of denial, the fear of being an outcast again. If you remember, it was Peter who denied Christ three times. He was greatly afraid of his fellow Jews, and that fear was beginning to resurface. And if you remember correctly how the Pentecost started, it started through Peter's prayer when he prayed for boldness and for courage. So Peter had apparently won over some big names and reputations amongst the Jews. And then one of them, or maybe a couple of them, were infiltrators, deceivers. They were in disguise to mislead Peter. But Paul, being fully inspired with the Holy Spirit and the love of Christ, having no regard to please man but to please Christ, Paul places the love of Christ first, and he says to Peter, But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners... Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing." Paul's message was not to let everything that Christ has done be in vain, even if it meant being an outcast to your peers, being an outcast to your society, being an outcast to your religion or tradition. Paul also says, What is more, everything else is worthless when compared with an infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul also said we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now I don't care what the world thinks of me. I don't care how many people slander my name or reputation. I don't care how many times the enemy tries to resurrect my dead ghost because I have died a long time ago on the cross with Christ. My sins were forgiven. And I don't care if my life means nothing to the world because I want my life to mean something to Christ. 
I want my life to have value for the things that Christ has done for me. What good am I if I work to gain the whole world, but in doing so, I sacrifice my very soul? Don't be a hypocrite. If love makes you an outcast, then be an outcast. If the truth has become undesirable, then be desirable to Christ. Who is more important? And then I love this last part. The reason and the purpose for it all. And Paul says, We do not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Your life has an impact and incredible influence. You matter. Your life has value. And it's important, not because of a title, not because of a position, but because of who Christ is and what he's done for you on the cross. And what you do now will forever influence the opportunity of those later down the road to hear and know the true sincere gospel message. Paul fought and he ran the good race with all of his integrity, remaining a very full outcast to all of society, all the way to the end of his life for the sake that we might know and have the gospel message. I think we're stuck and we're focused on all the wrong things today. This is the reason I do what I do. This is why I started the Tribe of Christians in the very first place. This is why I am here preaching to you on this podcast. It's not about the titles. It's not about the reputation. It's not about the tradition that makes your life meaningful and significant. Your life is already meaningful and significant because of who God is. Many of us are too focused on trying to make something out of ourselves and using God to prop ourselves up, when in reality we should be focused on Christ and who Christ is and use our lives to prop Christ up and glorify Him, not ourselves. I want to challenge every single pastor, teacher, missionary, worship leader, anyone everyone in a ministry position to cast off your titles cast off your reputation and simply serve as Christ has served us. When was the last time you truly served somebody without expectation or return? Or when was the last time you spoke the simple straight truth to somebody? You don't need an elaborate title. You don't need an elaborate education. You don't really need anything at all to serve and to love. All you need is Jesus. As Christ said to Paul, my grace is sufficient enough for you. Why add anything else to that? We don't need it. We don't need the elaborate worship services. We don't need the elaborate gathering places. We don't need the elaborate programs. What we need is Jesus and the love of Jesus. That's it. That's what we need. And I promise God will provide the rest. He will open the doors and he will provide everything you need if you are simply willing and available. Let your life truly be the life of an outcast for Christ as Paul was. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your son, Jesus. And I thank you for your Holy Spirit and for your precious word. Thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And I ask that you please continue to reveal the truth to us and help us to share that truth with others. May you continue to place people in our lives who will help guide and lead us to you. May you help us to lead others. And I pray and ask that everything exalted against you be cast down. Rather it be titles or authorities in your name, Jesus. These things don't belong in your church, O Lord. We pray for unity and we pray 
and ask for conviction and of truth to every listener who may be listening to this. And Lord, we thank you for each and every one of us and all of us that you have given us for all of our brothers and sisters always. In your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Now you can find more great teachings just like this one on our website at tribeofchristians.com and also on our social media pages and Facebook. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and share our podcast to help get future updates and help us to spread the gospel message. I am the Chief Sinner with the Tribe of Christians. This concludes this podcast message, and may God continue to bless you and be with you always.